0: I think two big pieces of advice that I've kind of stuck to and have followed the best I can is one is to immerse yourself into the space and watch as much content as possible. Watch a variety of content, see how it's done. Don't try to emulate somebody else, but try to find your way of doing things and try to find your voice. And maybe it's not high production value. Maybe it's just, you know, you have a analytical mind and you can break things down super easily, or maybe shooting beautiful B-roll is your thing. But I think watching as much as you can and trying to find what you can do to separate yourself and to kind of carve out your niche is something super important. And the other thing, I think just in general, whether you want to start a YouTube channel or you're trying to talk to creators or get your name out there is to think, obviously, be polite, be respectful, and don't be afraid to try and, you know, see how things go, kind of shoot your shot, so to speak.
1: Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rettinger. Geared up is your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics and tech. And John. I'm doing it. Before you do this, let me just remind everybody. All right. We do this every week somehow on the show. The only show on the internet that you can follow, subscribe to at no cost. That will bring you the best guest each and every week. It just keeps like getting better. When I say the best, I mean, yeah, exactly. It gets better every week. Who else does that? If I were to posit an answer, I would say no one.
2: I mean, we've had the past few weeks, we've had MKBHD, we've had Jonathan Morrison uh, in here, Jenna is Eric, but it keeps getting better. But to top them all. And I think this week, we have the best guest. And I say best guest for a few reasons. This is a name that a lot of you are going to know, but if you don't know him yet, you will by the end of the year. You will by the end of the month, you will by the end of the week. By
1: the end of the show.
2: By the end of the show, this is a man that I've known since he was a wee college student who came into the Techno Buffalo offices to say hello, brought me a mug, <laughs> and we got to know each other. And Wait, was
1: this a scheduled? Was this scheduled or did he just show up?
2: No, he reached out very professionally. Okay. Asked to come and and, and talk. He was attending a local university here in Southern California. A very bright eyed and bushy-tailed young man. And over the past. Man, probably been, I think, about six years now. Had the chance to get to know him personally, professionally. We've been working together pretty much ever since. Was really the first person that ever came into what was at the time the Techno-Buffalo interim program. And he was so damn talented that we just couldn't let him go. He's the man who's responsible for a lot of the amazing visuals that you've seen on the videos on John Ford Lakers. But most importantly, he's a man who is the front man, the, the face of the Apple Circle channel a channel which is growing by about 35,000 subscribers per month, about to hit 100,000 subscribers, focusing on the world of Apple. Andrew, let me introduce you in the audience to, please do, Mr. Robert Rosenfeld.
0: Yeah. Hello. I am humbled. What, what an introduction. I'm, I'm speechless. I, just to even be in the realm of episodes with <laughs> MKBHD and Jonathan Morrison, it's, it's an honor. Thank you guys for having me. Listen, neither of
1: those people showed up at the Techno Buffalo offices while they were in college. That's
0: true. So you
1: take the <laughs> cake when compared to those other two gentlemen. I'm
0: just saying. I love that origin story. That was such a surreal experience because I think I at that point I had been watching John since I was, I want to uh, say, 12, 13 oh years old. God. Oh, it's
2: like a dagger in ridiculous. the heart. It's a dagger in the heart when I hear that it's story. A,
0: it wasn't even a teenager. It was <laughs> six years ago you know, that I met him for the first time. But even at that point, I think I had been watching him for six years. So that was a totally uh, surreal experience. I like to say I'm just the intern that just stuck around and never wanted to leave. But uh, what a wild ride it's been. And honored to be on, honored to talk to you, gentlemen. Can I ask how old you are today? 25.
1: So for more than half your life, John Rettinger has been a positive force
0: that's true. You know, I looked up a simple YouTube search on how to connect a dual monitor to a MacBook back in like 2007. And <laughs> ever since then, uh, I've been watching John on a screen and then uh, you now get to be in person and see all the behind the scenes stuff has been quite the experience, I got to say.
1: That's nice. So so you obviously went from meeting him, watching him, watch, I'm, I'm assuming other YouTube creators as well, to being one or at least helping out with the channel behind the scenes. And then basically being the face of a channel in front of the camera. Do you want to tell us how that progression went for you and kind of how you feel about it today versus even what you thought it would be before you did it?
0: It's so interesting because I feel like I took such a traditional approach to a very non-traditional space. And I don't think anybody knows there's a certain set path to become an online content creator. And I just kind of grew up in that age of Tech YouTube, when it really started, like 2006, 2007, 2008, it was John Rettinger, it was Soldier Knows Best, it was Chris Perillo, and I was like a sponge and just could not stop myself from watching as much tech content as possible. I was always that kid with the family video camera, like to edit Windows Movie Maker. And then I got a Mac and I just, I I don't know what happened. I discovered all the stuff about computers and Apple and Windows, and it just became... I want to say an obsession. My parents would probably say an obsession as well. It was more than a fascination. It was something beyond that. And when I went to college, I obviously wish I could have you know signed up for the online content creator major and gone on my way, but that wasn't a thing. So I chose broadcast journalism and you know went through the motions and you learn how to be on camera and how to write a script and how to do interviews. And it's interesting to see that side of things and how, in a way, stuck higher education and just the whole realm of traditional broadcast journalism is. But I knew I always wanted to be in the space. So as John kind of mentioned, I my very first assignment, my freshman year broadcast news one class, we had an assignment to go out and do like a news piece on anything. Go get some video, go interview someone. And my professor at the time really loved local businesses. He loved startups. He loved entrepreneurs. So I knew I wanted to do something in that space, impress the teacher, look good. And I knew that Techno Buffalo at the time was near where I was going to school. So I just kind of sent an email to John out of the blue, said, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a freshman. I, I go to Chapman. I want to do an interview on you in Buffalo." And to my surprise, a couple hours later, he responded. And I got to go meet him for the first time. And it was an awesome experience. And then think about a year later, my sophomore year at the end of that year, kind of looking to the summer, is when I reached out again and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Hope you're enjoying that mug. I would love to know if you guys are looking for interns. So I got to make the trek down there that summer and got to be an intern and be a part of the video team and really kind of for the first time go from just watching this content and thinking I knew how it was done and how to edit and how to shoot to really being a part of that collaborative process behind the scenes. And really, I guess for the first time, really was an eye-opening experience to see just how much goes into it, the planning and the prep and the editing and the shooting And kind of since then, my kind of role has grown and I've done more things and, you know, things have evolved and, you know, now doing the Apple Circle and getting to kind of really live this dream, this passion has been, it's been great. All from an an internship turned to uh, something much bigger, which has been, it's been awesome.
2: We get a lot of people, I mean, Andrew, you and I in particular, you know, who've been doing this for a long time and they ask, how do we do this? Like, how do we, how do we get to have a channel? How do we get to, to be an online creator? And, you know, we've been, we've been at this for, combined a very, very long time. So Robert, who's somebody who's, you know, relatively new at it, I think and has this perspective on folks who are looking to start it. But what you're not going to see with Robert when you see him on the camera is the work that went in behind the camera. And the reason that Robert stuck around after internship was he wanted to learn anything. Anything that he could learn, you, Robert, you always took advantage of. And you can see the results of that work now when you see him on camera. And I think a lot of people don't realize the foundation has to be built. You don't just turn on the camera, like step 1 start YouTube channel, step 3 be famous. You know, you got to go through really deeply into that step 2. And, you know, Robert, we so we really kind of relaunched the Apple Circle in October. So it hasn't even been that long and, you know, Robert's got a video up that went up a couple weeks ago, it's at 2 million views right now. So I'm trying to take myself out as sort of the the guy you work with and more of like just the Guys really interested in your journey. What advice do you have for new creators that want to start a new channel, especially in, in the tech space? You know, how would you offer guidance to those folks out there?
0: I think two big pieces of advice that I've kind of stuck to and have followed the best I can is one is to immerse yourself into the space and much as watch as much content as possible, watch a variety of content, see how it's done. Don't try to emulate somebody else, but try to find your way of doing things and try to find your voice. And maybe it's not high production value. Maybe it's just, you know, you have an analytical mind and you can break things down super easily. Or maybe shooting beautiful B-roll is your thing. But I think watching as much as you can and trying to find what you can do to separate yourself and to kind of carve out your niche is something super important. And the other thing I think just in general, whether you want to start a YouTube channel or you're trying to talk to creators or get your name out there is to think, obviously be polite, be respectful, and don't be afraid to try and you know, see how things go, kind of shoot your shot, so to speak. I remember when I was 12... I was watching, you know, Chris Perillo used to do this thing called Gnome Decks. It wasn't, for those who don't know, Chris Prillo was uh, a <laughs> oh, yeah. big, early, uh, you know, I've tech creator. Many of those. Yeah, tech creator in the YouTube space. He used to do a, a conference for, uh, this, I guess before it was social media influencers. It was bloggers and companies and everyone would come yep. in, in 2008. Web and 2.0. Exactly. I remember that. And uh It was uh, it was super cool. And he was holding a contest for scholarships. He was going to invite people who couldn't afford the ticket price to go to Seattle and get to attend the conference. And it was 18 years or older and there was a, you know, age limit. And he made that very clear. And I was a super big fan at the time. And I think I was like 13 and didn't think much of it. But I was just polite. I was kind of just, hey, Chris, you know, I've been following you for a long time. Find this stuff fascinating. I know I'm under the age limit. I'm well under eighteen, but I'd love to go and just to experience in this and to see if there's an opportunity, I'd love to go. And to my surprise, a few weeks later, I think I got an email from him and said, You know what? I know you're under eighteen, but I appreciate you. You're kind, respectful. I've, you know, kind of seen you in the chat room and I want to invite you to come. You and your dad, you can come and be a part of that. And that was such a surreal and super cool experience you know i knew that i you know wasn't going to be you know 18 i knew i couldn't afford to go there myself but just as someone who was an admirer who was respectful who had a a good presence maybe kind of in the comment section or at that time it was you know a chat room really helped and fun fact the person who was with me the other scholarship recipient back in 2008 was Lamar Wilson, who has become huh. his own YouTube sensation. I remember, I think he was a teacher still then. I remember he; I had talked to him at that conference about starting a YouTube channel, and he was going to start a tech channel and stuff like that. And you know, now he's gone on to bigger and better things. But uh, just watch as much content as you can. Be an active part of the community and be polite, be respectful, and don't uh, wait for opportunities to come to you. Chase down what you want.
1: This is crazy because I've attended every Seattle-based Gnome Decks. So you and I, a decade ago or more, were in the same auditorium. Little did we know—that's right—that we, we, we'd be meeting here on Geared Up. Who would have known? So many years later. <laughs> All right, should we get into the news? Any Let's other any it. other topics you want to hit, John?
2: No, that's a that was, that's a nice news segue.
1: Okay, just a quick note here iMac Pro being discontinued, and two pieces of news that I wanted to touch on. Number one, the fact that it's being discontinued implies that it, there will not be an M1 or M series based iMac Pro in the future. So, if you want to get an iMac Pro for whatever reason, it came out three years ago and hasn't really been updated since, you're gonna have to do it quickly. And number two, the issue of attribution in, in this game that we do in our work, Mac rumors reported this. They, they noticed it. They contacted Apple. They got official word from Apple and then reported it. And obviously, especially in the Apple world, I think everybody, when, when a new piece of news comes out, everybody jumps on and reports it. Yeah. But 90% of the people who do the, the re-reporting forget to, Call out the person or publication who actually found and did the work on that news. So everyone else is saying, hey, iMac Pro going away, but hardly anyone mentions Mac rumors, links to them or mentions them. What do you, how do you guys feel about this in in this kind of current world that we're in? Where attribution kind of just goes away. Like when we were talking about a minute ago with Gnome Dex, like back in those days, if you were blogging and someone else found the news. It was almost an insult to not link to your original source. And now it just seems like that practice has almost gone away. Especially I feel for like video creators. I feel like still the the journalists out there will still do that, but the the video creators just kind of say, Hey, here's just some news, with almost acting as if they're the one who who sourced it.
2: I, I think that's a fundamental difference in the two mediums, right? So as in running after running Techno Buffalo. I always consider myself a journalist, right? I ran a website and trying to get the attribution right was such a moving target sometimes. So you'd see it on one article and then you'd have to backtrack it, backtrack it, backtrack, it, backtrack to find the original source. And certainly I was never perfect at it. YouTube though, is you're totally right. People are like, hey, look at this news. There, there's no attribution. The only attribution you really ever see generally is if you're using somebody else's video, right? Then you source the video that that came from. But it's such a divergent approach to the same idea. And, you know, Robert, I know you use a ton of you know other outsourced video for the Apple Circle.
0: You make a great point. We always try to, you know, make sure we source because I feel like, you know, credit where credit's due. Some of these people are making themselves or hiring and spending money on these amazing renders. And, you know, you got to give them credit. And I know, especially when covering Apple news, I always try to make a point to always give credit to the source of that information. Someone is out there doing the legwork. John Prosser is staying up late trying to get that information. You know, Ming-Chi Kuo has a track record for a reason. I feel like it's very important to not only give that information and attribute the source, but also, you know, let your audience know, hey, this is not coming from me. Here's who I'm hearing it from. And you can look up their independent track record and make of that what you will. But, you know, someone's doing the work. And I feel like it's only fair that we make sure credit is given where credit's due.
1: Yeah, if we're if you're doing commentary on news and you're not the source of the news, at least let people know where the source came from. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, that was just a quick tidbit. iMac pro is going away. Don't expect a new one. Next quick tidbit, which I wanted to, you told me this news before we started and I was like, don't even, don't say another word. We need to talk about this. When we hit the record button, (laughs) if you've been listening to geared up for the past, I don't know, three to four weeks, that's fair. John has said several times, the AirPods Max are just not for him. The price is not right. The feature set for, which I think is fair, by the way, your preferences, like you said, you're not really an audiophile. Yeah. So the features may be legit, but they're just not features for you. And now you've done a 180 mm-hmm. and about face, well, sir.
2: So, so let me explain it. And the big reason, the biggest reason that I wasn't considering the AirPods Max, they charge with lightning. I just find that infuriating. And I almost <laughs> What? I, listen, I I almost find it like it's like an aggressive move by Apple. Like, well, why is the iPad charged with USB-C? Like there's no reason for it to charge for lightning other than like use our stupid cables. And I shouldn't I shouldn't say stupid cables. Use our proprietary cables. Mm-hmm. But I told I was what I was going to say when we did our pre-interview was the reason's not that exciting. I am getting AirPods Max, but I'm going to tell yeah. you why and you're going to feel silly. So are you ready to feel silly? <laughs> oh no. Tell me. I switched carriers from AT&T to Verizon uh, about two months ago. Okay. And if you brought your own device, Verizon was giving you $450 credit gift card to use mm-hmm. on Verizon. And I brought over four lines. Okay. So I'm sitting on $1,800 of Verizon credits. So trying to be oh, a wow. good husband. Trying to be a good husband. I asked my wife, you want a new phone? She has an iPhone 11. She's like, nah, this one's fine. I don't want a new one for. I don't understand that. I couldn't, right. yes. I, couldn't, I couldn't relate to that. I mean, I could buy phones and then sell them, so I'm just, I'm just gonna get AirPods Max, and I have all this credit, I'm gonna use it, it makes sense, at least I'll have it, I didn't want to spend my own money for it. I'm gonna try it, maybe I can be proven wrong, I think I can, my mind can be changed. My time I spent with them was not that long, It's probably only about a week. I'm gonna give it a whirl, I've got all this
1: Verizon credit, might as well do something with it. Okay, that's cool. So we'll be able to hear your extended thoughts Extended episodes. Extended. Be sure to also pick up a couple of lightning cables with that credit that you have as well. So you're able to charge these things up. Now, Robert, Robert, who is again the face of the Apple Circle, no one can see this, but you're sitting here. Now, are those the Microsoft Surface headphones? What's going on? These are
0: the ridiculously long named Sony WX Ah. version threes. I think they're not even the newest, but Okay. These have, they've held me over very well. The biggest issue I have, and the big reason that stopped me from going with AirPods Max is that I spend a lot of my time in Final Cut Pro, and I can't do it wirelessly because the audio just does not sync up well enough. I just cannot edit video over Bluetooth. I know I could plug in, I know I could wire it, but at that point, what's the point of spending all that money on AirPods Max and using them wired? I love AirPods Pro, use those all the time, they're fantastic, spatial audio is great, but uh, in terms of over-the-ear headphone experience, I just I just can't make the move over to AirPods Max. Not yet, wow. anyways.
1: Okay, you should be ashamed of yourself.
0: I know. There's a sad secret. <laughs> Hopefully, this doesn't get out anywhere. Right? Hopefully, no one hears. Right? This. No, no
1: one listens to this show. <laughs> no,
0: one's, no one's listening.
1: <laughs> Next, this took me by surprise. This came out of nowhere for me. This is not an Apple topic. NFTs. You guys heard of this NFTs,
2: non fungible tokens? How do you like your tokens? You prefer them fungible or non fungible? Absolutely not. Non fungible.
1: Not if you're trying to raise money. NFTs. If you haven't heard, yes, non fungible tokens. It's this new. I, I don't even know what to, like how to explain. I I I know it in my head, but to like verbalize it. Can I?
2: Let me, I'm gonna take a crack at
1: it. Please, please. Okay.
2: So you've heard of cryptocurrencies? Mm-hmm. Everybody's heard mm-hmm. of cryptocurrencies. Usually, usually Bitcoin. Ethereum and along those, non-fungible token essentially leveraging blockchain technology. In this case, it's leveraging sort of what Ethereum is doing. Essentially lets you buy a digital asset. Think of it as like a video game. You buy a digital asset, you buy a pair of new gun, uh, costume for your character. You're paying real money for that. This essentially is leveraging blockchain technology to let you buy digital goods. And why it's getting a lot of news, the digital goods that have been selling are kind of ridiculous. Jack Dorsey's first tweet, whatever one of the Pauls are are selling, and you digitally like own this thing, and you can show it to other people. Maybe it's a song, and you can let other people listen to it, but you own the digital original, the digital master, so to speak. And they're called NFTs because you're buying the the token, and it's not not fungible, so it's not necessarily rare. you can't give it to others. You could sell it like you can any asset, just in this case, the asset is is digital.
1: Is that okay? Is that clear? I think that's fairly clear. And so, so instead of buying a Bitcoin, you are buying a token or coin and embedded and included in this coin is this digital art. Like you, It can be anything digital. It could be a song. It could be a picture. It could be, as you said, a tweet. But what's crazy about this to me, number one, the crazy amount of money and volume we're seeing over the past couple of weeks. But number two, what's super interesting is You can buy something digital, but countless other people can have a copy. Like if you buy a piece of digital art, you can take a screenshot, right, and just distribute that, and everyone else will have that same exact digital image, but you are the only one who has like the signed signature token. And it's almost akin to there's only one Mona Lisa in this world, but you can go and buy a print or a poster of the Mona Lisa that looks exactly the same. I'm like, is this the future? Or is this some crazy fad that's happening right now? Where do you, where do you fall on this?
2: So I can, I want to give more, more context. I, I have a friend who works for a big music studio here in Los Angeles, and he's been tasked with trying to find a way to use NFTs for music. And I'm, I'm, framing this for a reason. So he was pitching Hey, Lady Gaga sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl or at the at the inauguration, excuse me, at President Biden's inauguration. Lady Gaga. And then that that song was just it was it was sung and you could record it on your TV. He was saying, if we can license her song and sell her song as NFT to 500 Lady Gaga fans that could own that, that can't be purchased anywhere else. Now you've got a real asset for for fans of a performer. So I think that what we're seeing right now, NFTs being used for re- ridiculous use cases, but I think it's going to be something that becomes so commonplace moving forward, especially as we get a bigger digital footprint. As AR, VR is becoming more things and our lives become either augmented or somehow virtual, whether in-game or somewhere else, you have a chance to actually now show your things, right? So I, I, th- I think it's going to become very, very mainstream, but the examples of this early stage adoption are so like fringe and ridiculous that it makes it seem like the whole concept is fringe and ridiculous. Robert, where do you stand on this?
0: I agree with John. I think I did what most people did. I saw it kind of on social media, saw it a couple times in my Twitter feed, looked up what is an NFT, what does it do, and then closed that tab and moved on. I just, it, it's so hard to know. I think that, like what John said, the examples right now are so all over the board. I just don't know where it's going to fall. Is it a fad? Or are we going to see it really materialize into something, you know, more permanent? I think that once we see this uh, around for a little longer, hopefully we get a better idea of what it's being used for and kind of the market of these things. But right now, I just, I'm just going to sit back and observe and kind of see what happens.
1: Yeah, I I remember being told about Bitcoin when it was seven cents per and promptly telling the person this is a scam and a fad. Why? He's like, just just put ten dollars in. Imagine buying ten dollars worth at seven cents. (laughs) Do you know how many Bitcoins I would have? So I'm like, am I? I don't want to ever repeat that kind of mistake, but I also don't want to jump into something that is a fad. Now, have you heard of NBA Top Shot? Oh, it's been insane! That is insane! What's happening there? Okay, so to tell people NBA Top Shot, you know the idea of baseball or basketball trading cards. You buy a pack of cards at the store. You have ten cards in there at random, and sometimes you have a rookie LeBron James or something like that that can be worth eighty thousand dollars. Well, now NBA Top Shots is an online platform where you buy digital packs of cards and these cards, instead of being of a player, will be of a play. So you might have, let's just say, for example, Michael Jordan's last shot that he ever took, which he he made it, right? Now you can own a card that has that and that will have value that other people will pay to own that digital card. So you can sell that digital card to someone else but check this out, (laughs) they will take that same highlight, let's say it's a seven second video highlight, and they will have the regular card, and then they will take the exact same file, exact same imagery, and they will have it on the gold foil version of the card. Same play, different colors on the graphic, But that one is more rare because they made 5,000 of the first one and 100 of the second one. And now if you open that, open a pack and have that in your pack, you can resell that for like 800,000. I think someone bought like a- crazy. Yeah, this is all digital. Like you can just screen record this and own what is essentially the same imagery that you look at with your eyes, but you're not owning like the, the signed cryptography. I mean, it's- this is absurd. We're like on the fringe of something again. We don't know where this is falling, but this—I don't think this is just something that's going to be here today and then a year from now is just gone. Like some something is happening here. I don't know what.
2: Very clearly, something is happening, Andrew. I want to throw an information out at you here, by the way. Please do. So your Bitcoin example—I don't know what the price was, but let's say it was in two thousand four, two thousand fourteen. You're telling me you did the math? I've done the math, ish. See, ish I didn't on do the, the math. math. If if I'm the oh. math here. So let's say it was in 2014, which is slightly over your your $0.07 thing. But if you put in $10, your return, if you had bought it on March 1st, 2014, you'd be looking at right now 8,614% return, annualized return of over 188%. Your ending value from your $10 investment would be worth
1: $871,000. Wow. Wow. Well, see... That's why we got to get into NFTs. That's basically what I'm talking about.
0: $10 NFT right now.
2: Yeah. Right. I'm just saying, s- sprinkle your $10 around, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: make, it, make, make it rain digitally on all the tokens. Don't get left out. Let's move on to some quick thoughts. So I have here in my home, my smart home is based on HomeKit. That was the platform that I hung my hat on.
2: I'm very I'm very jealous. I would like to expand more into to HomeKit stuff. I'm mostly on on Google stuff right now, but I would like to standardize everything. I just okay. want to I don't I just want to start replacing
1: everything. I got you. Here's what I did at the start. I only bought smart home devices that were HomeKit compatible, but what you'll find is if it's HomeKit compatible, then it will also be Alexa and Google compatible. So if you decide you want to go with HomeKit, it will also work with your other stuff and they're But you just
2: my. moved, right? So you made you're starting from scratch.
1: Which is nice. Well, I did move about 6 months ago, but I brought over a lot of the stuff that I already had. When Apple announced HomeKit and showed the privacy and how everything works on your local network and it's encrypted before it goes out, there were some Back then, like some open holes in a lot of, of smart home gear where people were getting into your network through like your doorbell. So when I saw that, I was like, let me let me go for you know, especially with what we do and everything like privacy and not letting people into my stuff become like we're, we're bigger targets, I guess, than the average person. is what I'm trying to say. So I have everything home kit. I have uh, like 12 home pods spread throughout the house and 12 home pods. Well, a couple of them are in stereo pairs. So you would have two would really function as one system. But we have three floors. And in order to just what's be able to...
2: Like so what's it like living in a mansion, Andrew? <laughs> tell, us, tell, us I mean, more, tell us more about that. Does your footman have a HomePod? <laughs> and does your, does your second footman have HomePods as well?
1: Listen, with the idea being that <laughs> if you just want to speak a command and have it happen anywhere in your home, then you need to have something that can hear you no matter where you are. Right. So that is an investment upfront, but if you want that functionality where you're like, Oh, okay. The thing is in two rooms away. So let me walk over there first and then say, you know, whatever. It was just like, let's just put, and there's, some of these are HomePod minis. So those are cheaper. (laughs) And a couple of these Apple sent over by the way. So just to be clear. So, The thing I'm most excited about, I just got this Logitech circle view doorbell. Now they sent this over to me, but Apple announced this functionality of HomeKit secure video over like two years ago. Long time ago. And then we were just waiting, like I was super excited. And then we're just waiting, nothing was coming. Logitech eventually launched a camera, like a, a smart home camera, but this is the first doorbell that has this full functionality in the US. There's one that's really popular in Europe, but we didn't have it here. Just wanted to go over it real quick. Like, you can hook this doorbell up, and if you have iCloud storage of at least 200 gigs, then it'll record 10 days worth of camera captures without taking up any of your allotted storage. You just have to have the plan, so it'll record unlimited. If you have a family plan of two terabyte or more, then you can have up to five of these cameras, whether it be doorbell standalone cameras, et cetera, all recording, again, not taking up any of your allotment space. If someone rings the doorbell, you can have it ring on every HomePod or on whichever HomePods you choose. So I can be in the basement and the HomePod will ring and I won't miss like a delivery because I didn't hear the doorbell upstairs, for example.
2: Isn't it awesome to have the video feed on the HomePods too? Like the screens are so good on Get out the of HomePods here. that you can actually like, interact with the video. You cannot
1: interact with video. However, oh, however, sir, the, your 12 HomePods don't do that. Now, listen, the HomePod will tell me using my Apple Photos library. If someone rings the doorbell who I have tagged as a person, it'll say Andrew rang the front door, for example.
2: I don't want to burst your bubble, but my Nest doorbell's been doing that for about two years. First
1: of all, how does it know?
2: You tag it, same person. If you see familiar faces, you can say, this is Jonathan. This is Rebecca. This is whatever. And it'll see that person, and it'll say whoever uh, is at the door. And it'll also show up on my Nest devices. like the actual So you have, to,
1: well. you have to go in and tag them in the Nest app?
2: Uh, yeah, inside the Nest Where's
1: app. it pulling up? Okay. So it's mine is pulling from my 15-year history. I didn't have to do anything. It's already just there.
2: Which, which is very
1: okay. cool. I mean, in all fairness,
2: it's, it's nice. It's pulling from your photos app.
1: Yes. Then obviously this is a much less uh, like the Apple TV is probably Apple's least (laughs) biggest selling product. But if you have an Apple TV and someone rings a doorbell, you will see that pop up in a little picture in picture. You can go you can go full screen on it and any Apple device that you have that has a microphone and camera on it or microphone and a speaker on it, allows you to speak to the person face-to-face, including through your HomePods. So if you are a HomeKit home, this is, to me, it is fantastic. It'll even notice, like every camera will say we see a person or we see an animal or a vehicle, but this will say like we saw a person and an animal, we saw a group of people, we saw a group of people including these two people in your photo lab, like it's very granular, and again, my favorite part is that I know that everything is encrypted on my device before it's sent to iCloud servers for storage. So no one can see anything about my footage, including Apple. Apple can't see it either because it's encrypted before it gets sent to iCloud.
2: Do you get video feed on your phone or notification on your watch as well?
1: On both, yes. I never tried tapping on my watch when I got the notification, but usually on my phone, I'll just tap it to see like what's happening out there, who's, who's out there, who rang the doorbell or... Why did it say an animal walked by when all my animals are indoors?
0: Do you guys think we're going to see a wider adoption of HomeKit compatible devices because of all this negative news about people hacking into Amazon devices or issues with Google Nest products? Like, is there a more conscious effort on the consumer these days on privacy than there was before? And do you think that's going to push more people to HomeKit? Because I know, you know, before it was this very obscure thing and there weren't a lot of devices that supported it. But do you think that as people search for more things and maybe even build from the ground up or replace a lot of products, that HomeKit is going to get the recognition because people are more focused these days on privacy? Or is convenience of name recognition of the Amazon product that's $30 going to win out?
1: That's a great question. That's a good question. What I always wonder, because I I hate to assume what the average person thinks because I don't want to like seem like I'm putting someone down, but I do wonder like, are people privacy conscious or is it people who stay on top of tech news who are privacy conscious or do they just assume, well, Google is a big company, so they must be watching out for my privacy or Amazon, like they must. Why would this not be a secure device? I am so curious as to how, how people are today with privacy. And I think there's different types of privacy buckets now. Like like John, last week, you were saying privacy is dead, right? But there's a difference between that kind of privacy and someone saying, oh, John Rettinger has a finance channel and he mentioned he uses, let's just say, Fidelity. Well, now I know he has a Fidelity account. How can I try to get into his Fidelity account? You know what I mean? Like that's a different type of privacy. And so I think that's a great question. And I honestly don't know the answer. I would say I hope People are at least aware, like you don't want someone to be able to walk up to either your Tesla, not that everybody has a Tesla (laughs) or your front door where you have an automatic, a smart door lock and use some sort of program on their phone to unlock your home and just stroll right in without even having to break into anything just due to a privacy flaw or security flaw, whatever you want to call it.
2: I I think everything is secure until it's not. And I think that the Amazon devices were secure until the exploit was found. So it's gonna be interesting to see if if HomeKit, especially HomeKit Secure Video, gets the same market penetration that the others have, will the exploits be found? How quickly will they be patched? I think that's the real sense of security is how quickly are these things fixed? Nothing is truly secure. Apple has a good reputation for fixing things quickly, but that's unproven in this sort of in this vertical.
0: They've had their issues. That that FaceTime bug where you could join and yeah. call and they, oh, they've yeah. had their problems.
1: So one thing before we move on, John, for you, I just remembered. You said you don't want to replace everything you already have. There's a product called Hoobs, H O O B S. And it's like a it's a little box that you connect to your router, and it will take any smart home device, whether it be for Amazon or for Google, et cetera, and it will create a HomeKit version. So basically, it'll allow anything to connect to HomeKit, even if it's not HomeKit compatible. So you just put connected to your router. Yep, so I have all my Nest cameras for example. Nest does not support HomeKit. I can see all of them.
2: You see those you see the feed in
1: the yep. HomeKit app? Yeah, correct. That's insane. It's not expensive at all. I think it's like
2: $150. 169.99. I'm I'm looking it up as you're talking about it.
1: So if you have smart home devices and you want to switch over to HomeKit's and you don't want to rebuy all your, you know, cameras or light bulbs or anything. Just pick up this Hoobs box. You set it up in your browser, super easy, and it's way it's way less expensive than replacing all your hardware.
2: And Andrew, can you think of a way that people could remember the name Hoobs? I guess they forget it <laughs> when they're listening. Is there any way that you could tell people <laughs> that they could remember the name?
1: If your neighbor Bob wants to also buy Hoobs, just put his first initial and remove the H from Hoobs, and then boobs is your neighbor, Bob, buying hoops? I don't, I didn't, I, those were words? That's it. I,
2: I don't know what they, I don't know what they meant together, but it is spelled H-O-O-B-S, and it's hoops.org. I just looked it up as Andrew was talking about uh, Not a sponsor, but if they'd like to be, we certainly would welcome them. Yeah, well, of uh, course, we yeah, sure would. We
1: certainly welcome them here. <laughs> All right, before we get out of here, let's get into some of the upcoming news. March 23rd, a rumored March 23rd, Apple event, and I'm just going to let you guys take this one over because there's been so much rumor that I don't even know how to like parse out what are we actually looking at at this point. In fact, Robert, have you done a video on this? Do you have an upcoming video on this?
0: <laughs> I, I think I've done a number of videos. I would definitely recommend you checking out youtube.com slash the Apple Circle to learn more. Please do. But I think, what is it? The four things we are gonna supposed to see, AirTags, iPad Pro, AirPods, and Apple TV. That's like the kind of consensus as of this morning on what we could see. What do you guys, yay or nay on AirTags? Does anyone care? Do you personally care anymore? I f- I feel like they've been out already for like, right <laughs> for, for like a year. I think there's neat
2: use cases for them, but I'm not, I'm not jazzed about
1: AirTags. My take on this similar. Like I feel like when Apple has something rumored, there's so much fervor for the release, but it's like this is a device you're going to buy and hopefully not have to ever use, right? You only have to use this if you've lost something. So you're hoping to buy this and not ever have to use it. This is not like a new iPhone that you're going to buy and like you're going to be using all these new features. So I feel like it's just it was just an Apple thing. I can't wait. And then it comes out. I was like, all right, so cool. I like the idea behind it, but I don't I mean, I'll buy some, but I'm not excited about it. It's just like a it's a tool.
0: Are you guys also surprised that this year, it seems like more than ever, the iPad Pro, we know last year the update wasn't substantial, but this year the rumors have been pretty sparse. We know probably a mini LED display, maybe a new Apple Pencil, probably a new processor inside, stuff like that. But besides that, either there aren't going to be significant changes or there are and they haven't leaked out. I'm curious, do you think we'll see any upgrades to the camera setup on the iPad Pro, and will that be indicative of changes coming to the 13 this fall? Because usually the iPad's sort of the precursor for what we could see yeah. later on in the fall.
2: I don't, but I have questions for you, Robert. And I think I have questions that everybody who's listening would want to ask the Apple expert. So I'm just going to fire away at you. The new iPad, will it debut the A15?
0: No, I don't think so.
2: No way. You don't think so either? No. What processor is it going to have?
0: A14Z.
1: A14Z, I agree.
2: So you think, okay, A14Z, interesting.
1: Which, by the way, can I call out every YouTube creator who has forgotten that there is a Z version of a processor? I'm expecting it to be like an M1Z. Everyone's making M1X videos, but go on, I digress.
2: All right, new Apple TV. First, will we have the same horrible remote?
0: No, I think that they're, they've learned their lesson, and as Apple seems to be slowly correcting their mistakes, we will see a new remote.
2: Other than a faster processor for like Apple Arcade, would there be any physical changes, you think, to the Apple TV box?
0: I don't think so. I mean, it's a boring little blo- box that sits under your TV. What else could they do?
2: Do you guys, both of you, think the Apple TV is necessary now that Apple has sort of gone very un-Apple method and enabled AirPlay on a ton of third-party devices and, and done it very, very well? The Apple TV box itself seems uh, very unnecessary right now.
0: I saw there was a lot of hubbub online about people upset that more apps for, I think, the third generation Apple TV, like the last cheapest model they used to sell. You, yeah, like app, app support has really dropped off. And a lot of people think, hey, you know, Apple needs to create. Remember, there was that rumor that there was going to be this Apple TV stick that like was this low cost, cheap little device you could plug in and have all those features. Well, I think to that same vein that John was just saying... I think as we see Apple TV+, and maybe more specifically AirPlay adoption on devices that aren't from Apple, as that kind of becomes more widespread through the market, there's less of this need for this lower cost device. Because if you can watch Apple TV+, Plus content, and iTunes content, and you can AirPlay to your TV, maybe there's no need for that lower cost device. But if you want to experience the true premium Apple experience, or maybe if they do make this big push with Apple Arcade games that you can only get on the Apple TV, maybe it makes sense to have that higher end box. But I do think it's interesting that this demand for this lower end Apple TV stick doesn't seem necessary anymore because of that widespread adoption of AirPlay and Apple TV+. Plus.
1: There's two things today that you need an Apple TV for, though. Number one, whether whether you care about this stuff or not, number one, to play Apple Arcade games. You cannot do that through the smart app. And number two, Apple's latest initiative, Fitness, uh, Fitness Plus, you need an Apple TV box to for your Apple Watch to connect to if you want to do Fitness Plus. So if you want to do Fitness Plus on your TV, you have to have an Apple TV, and I do wonder, will Apple be introducing more things that require the box, not, not viewing content, but other services that require the box in order to enjoy them?
2: I, so I, I want to I challenge that a bit. So yes, right now, you're absolutely right. I wonder if in the future, you need the Apple TV Plus app on whatever smart device to use Fitness Plus, and if you're not using your Apple TV for sort of those two things Angie just described... All Apple TV is a portal. is a portal for apps, right? You're in your YouTube TV app. You're in your Netflix app, and you can. It's essentially the same experience across almost any set top box, right? I I just got the Apple TV app on my Chromecast. You know, my my Google Home device or my Google devices. It's on every Roku that I have right now. Is there still a need for a physical Apple TV box if somehow Apple just takes away those barriers that you just mentioned? Is that something that, that's even necessary?
1: I wonder, so, and I don't know the answer to this, but is the Apple TV box required because of some sort of privacy thing? They don't want you using the Roku TV and then maybe the manufacturer has, you know what I mean? So that's one thing I wonder. But you're right. So the other thing is, if you launch the Apple TV app on your smart TV, I'm curious, are you getting the same quality of stream? Are you getting the same bit rate? Are you getting the same HDR and all that? I don't know the answer to that. But obviously, that would only apply to people who are video or audio files. If you just want to stream, then you really shouldn't buy an Apple TV because it is the most expensive, almost by far, of all of the streaming boxes.
2: I mean, and almost outdated. In our studio, we had a TV we wanted to hook up to get AirPlay-compatible. I was able to buy a Roku Ultra on sale for like $50. Wow. I mean, and, and, <laughs> like to use Apple services on instead of paying, what, 150 for an Apple TV? Yeah. Like it's like, what, what, why would any? And, and it's got a good remote. Let's go with the Roku. Like why? I just, there has to be a compelling reason to have people buy the Apple TV. And I, I wonder, Andrew, to your point, if there's going to be other reasons that are added that make the Apple TV sort of a, a, a compelling purchase again.
0: Well, I know that you know. right now you can do HomePod pairing with the Apple TV. You can use AirPods with the Apple TV. Right now, it definitely seems more of an enthusiast device. Someone who is in the Apple ecosystem, in and out, it does make sense to have that device. But I'm curious if they will continue to expand functionality to other devices and manufacturers, or if they're going to try to rein it in and anything new going forward is going to somehow require Apple TV hardware. To me, it's it's got to be some kind of processing, whether that's better dolby vision hdr or it's some special you know 8k upscaling they've got to have some reason some compelling offering for people to pick up an apple tv especially because you can get options so much cheaper these days
1: what if they put game pass on there pair your controller use the power of like obviously it's stream but you're using the power of a, a upgraded box that's the kind of thing where it's like okay You can't pair your Xbox controller to your TCL TV, so you're going to want to buy, instead of buying an Xbox, you just buy this. Now, all of a sudden, it's a deal. You're buying this $100, $150 device, so that's the kind of stuff I'm hoping to see. Robert, what was the fourth device? We said AirTags, iPad Pro, and
0: Apple TV. AirPods 3 is the current rumor we could possibly see that at this March event. Tell me about that. You know... It looks like the AirPods Pro we have now. It's probably going to have the same price, similar case, better battery life. I have seen rumors floating around, though, that some are speculating that the AirPods 3, so the base AirPods, will get some kind of transparency mode, will get access to some kind of spatial audio noise cancellation, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Seems like that's more of a Pro feature, but one of the many rumors in the rumor mill right now but at the very least i think it's time for a airpods refresh and new design better case hopefully better battery life kind of slotting in there can i just
2: back up a second to the apple tv stuff because i just i had an idea <laughs> <laughs> listen this is not based on any rumor there's nowhere to source this but apple allowing airplay on third-party devices is a very unApple yep. move right i get that they wanted more eyes on their apple tv uh, originals putting the app on third party devices makes sense but the airplay yes. was a very i think surprising move to a lot of people and HomeKit too, by the way. Yeah, uh, very surprising, I think. Yep. What, and I think what Roku did was brilliant with offering sort of their operating system on other TVs, right? TCL is a prime example. You know, you buy a TCL TV, there's already a value proposition there. Now mm-hmm. you're getting powered by Roku that also has AirPlay 2 built in. Yep. What if Apple picks a preferred partner, the LG or in some weird world reality Samsung, and it's the LG OLED powered by Apple TV? And that's the operating system of choice that ships on these devices. Apple still maintains some sort of control over what the TV's doing or listening, but you working with a third party. They're out of the hardware business, right? And they're just making, I guess at that point, it's software as service. And they're making an operating system that other manufacturers can use. I know that's a very un-Apple thing to do, but it would be very interesting, I think.
0: I mean, we've seen it with CarPlay, so it does make... A sense there. And I think that, you know, the advantage there is you have a developer community who will develop for Apple hardware and or Apple software. There's an App Store portal there that you couldn't get with a regular TV. I mean, there's a lot of people who will buy that TV just because they do want a little sense of that Apple premium experience. So CarPlay's been very successful. I, I think we'll see more of that. Apple developing the software then integrating with different hardware partners, it does make sense, especially if they want to make Apple TV Plus and maybe Apple Arcade as successful as possible, get it on as many screens as possible.
1: The thing with CarPlay, so I I think there's a there's a, a fundamental difference though in that CarPlay for the car manufacturer is yes or no. Do you have CarPlay or not? But if they enable CarPlay, then at that point, it's your phone controlling the interface and the car manufacturer has no say in anything else, but do you allow CarPlay or not? So in this scenario, I almost think it would be Apple hoping that someone would partner with them and having a hard time finding a partner who would give up that same level of control. Because like a lot of these smart TVs, if you haven't noticed when you buy them, you have to go through a setup process, which part of it is, do you share, we're going to take your data when you do a voice search we're, we're collecting. And obviously Apple, like that's what makes these TVs so inexpensive these days is you're 100%. giving up your data. Apple would not want that. And so Samsung would then be selling a TV where they're losing all this data, which would increase the price of the TV. So I, I just, I don't know that I see it. I like the idea, but I don't know that I see it. Would people pay a premium for it?
2: So let, let's say LG is a, is a company that makes sense for this, right? Right. It does. Would, would people be willing to just buy the whatever their webOS-powered LG TV that they're getting for, let's say, $1,000? Mm-hmm. Or would people pay the $1,300 to be powered by Apple with those privacy features like they get if they bought an iPhone or an iPad?
1: Would I? Yes. But most I believe the stat is 92% of TVs sold in the U.S., sell for under a thousand dollars, which means yeah. the vast majority of TVs are the TCLs and the Westinghouses and the, you know, all those. Yeah. And it's not the LGs and the Samsungs, or at least if they are, they're not like the OLEDs and the, the QLEDs and all that.
2: It's interesting to think about. And it's, again, there, I have nothing to, there's no, Absolutely. Like, I, I have no rumor on this, but it certainly would be a very interesting avenue for Apple to go in a very un-Apple like move, which I think they've done already with, with AirPlay.
1: I agree, and and seeing this new style of Apple is is extremely intriguing to me. Like, because it it almost opens up like where are they going to go next that we didn't expect them to go. It's similar to Microsoft,
2: I think. You know, offering the best experience across platform. Yep. Just just an exercise of like, what if? I'd be down for that, though. Tell you that much.
1: Okay, let's. I'm going to swing it back over to AirPods three, and then we'll get out of here. I want Robert to tell us. You said better case, better battery life, but there has to be something. Like, if you're replacing to a newer model, there has to be something. And AirPods, obviously, not just the best-selling wireless headphones, but they're the best-selling headphones in the world. There has to be something more. Do you know what else is rumored feature-wise? Like, why would you upgrade from AirPods 2 to AirPods 3? What are you getting feature-wise? So, two,
0: two rumors. The one is that maybe, yes, we will see some kind of noise cancellation, transparency mode, spatial audio, that would be very cool to see. Or the other reason, not software related, you just have a bunch of people who bought AirPods 2, the battery life isn't very good anymore, and they're looking for a reason to upgrade. Hey, AirPods 3 out, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pay the money, get the newer model and get better battery life. Because I think you have a lot of people out there who have gone through AirPods 1 and AirPods 2 and are looking for an excuse to upgrade because their battery life has diminished as of late.
1: That's very interesting, though, because yeah. you are getting much closer to AirPods Pro with like right now, there is a, a definite chasm between the two. And it's almost like last year's iPad Air, where it was like they released the Air and it was so close to the iPad Pro.
2: Better processor. Um,
1: right. There was a lot of where it was like there's a there's pros and cons to each year where prior it was the Pro is the better machine. Pretty obviously. And now it's like until the next pro comes, it's kind of it's almost a coin flip. Do we know what we're expecting for the next AirPods Pro then?
0: That's an excellent question. So rumors are possibly maybe more of a Samsung bean design where they're going to really shorten that stem up. Another rumor we've seen very vague floating around is some new fitness features built in. I'm not sure exactly what those could be, but maybe there's some better integration there with Fitness Plus. But you're right, there's got to be some difference maker to go for Pro, because if you can get noise cancellation and transparency in AirPods 3 and save money, then what's the big pull for the Pro? So I haven't seen too much yet, but hopefully it's some new sensors, you know, smaller design, or maybe better battery life. But there's got to be something I agree. Hopefully we see that soon.
1: I agree. And also, by the way, March 23rd, so March 23rd is the rumored date. March 23rd will also be the date of the new OnePlus 9 and OnePlus 9 Pro phones. What an Apple move, right? But, I mean, Apple, it seems that any time OnePlus has an event, Apple has an event that same day. And I don't know how these two companies, all, like OnePlus of all, of all companies. Anyway, Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Geared Up, sharing your knowledge, sharing your expertise And by the way, I just want to say I appreciate the background that you have in school, that that is the approach you take to content creation. There is not a lot of people, in my opinion, who take that journalistic approach to the news versus let me share the hot takes just for views. And so I just wanted to state state that clearly. I think that's important, especially in the current age where everyone is just trying to have the hot take and just throw something out there, whether it's correct or not. The research you put into your stuff shows. So thank you.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Where can people find you, find you guys?
0: YouTube.com slash the Apple Circle for everything going on in the Apple world. Leaks, rumors, news. Tips and tricks, highlights, the uh, wider approach of Apple these days and where the company is going, all that over on YouTube to search the Apple Circle.
1: And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at YouTube.com slash GearLive. And John is at YouTube.com slash john 4 Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcasts, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.